Well, if you do have a copy of God's Word, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, we're actually going to look at a, a couple different passages tonight, but this is kind of where we're going to set sail from. In Exodus chapter 4, we are, uh, to reiterate, so glad that you guys are here with us tonight. Uh, in the off chance someone is here and you don't know who I am, my name is Greg Key. I'm uh, on staff here, uh, oversee the media. So I'm used to being on the other side of the camera, so uh, it may take me a few minutes to warm up, but, but we'll be good. And uh, tonight, in Exodus, starting in Exodus chapter 4, uh, I want us to consider this, uh, walking through Scripture tonight, being honest with God, being honest with God. Uh, honesty is, is kind of a tricky thing. Uh, for most of us, we, we say we want to be honest, and we say that we want honesty, uh, but oftentimes, when we kind of step back and we look at it with honest evaluation, we realize that really what we mean is we kind of like it to be a one-way street. Uh, we like honesty to be more outgoing and less incoming, meaning we like to be honest with people, but we oftentimes struggle with people being honest with us. Uh, oftentimes, it's just a way for us to maybe mask uh, speaking our mind or sharing some frustration uh, or an opinion, and, and we may phrase it with, well, to be honest with you, you know, uh, that, uh, that restaurant has tailbreak service, and I'm never going to go there again. Or maybe you, you may have somebody that you, you may even start the phrase with, hey, be honest with me, and you may ask them a question, but really, at the heart of it, most of the time, we're just wanting to see if they agree with us. We don't necessarily want their honest opinion. We're just curious if they agree with us. So honesty can be a tricky thing. Oftentimes here... Uh, with, with other people, we want it to be outgoing, not necessarily incoming. But then when it comes to spiritual things, oftentimes it's the opposite. We love God to be honest with us, especially when we read the passages about hope and promise and forgiveness and salvation and redemption. But then we have a hard time being honest with God when it comes to opening up uh, and being real with him about things that we may be struggling with, things that we may be thinking, and things that we may be going through. We may even mask it under something like, well, I don't have to open up and share with God because, you know, he already knows. And that is true. He does already know, but he also wants to bring us to a place where we become vulnerable, we become honest, and we, we share these things with him because he wants to come in and restore us and encourage us and continue to mold and shape us into the image of God. So tonight, I want to look at three men throughout history of Scripture, and I want to look at three times in their life when they were open and honest and vulnerable with God. And I, and I want to look at these things in their lives. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is how did the Lord respond? When, when they were open and honest and vulnerable with the Lord about their situation, how did the Lord respond to that. The second thing is, how can we relate, right? When, when we read scripture, it's not just for information. It's not just for uh, a history lesson. We want to look at what is, how does that lay over? How does that apply to our lives today? And then last, how did God use them afterwards? When they had these moments of honesty and vulnerability where they opened up to the Lord about what was going on, how did he respond? What does that look like for you and me? And then what did God do with them afterwards? So the first person we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 4 is Moses. And we're going to look at the situation of Moses where he's like, you know, to be honest, I really don't want to do 
what you're asking me to do. That, that was Moses' moment of honesty. Now, you may be familiar with this, this, uh, this encounter in Moses' life. It's when Moses found himself at the burning bush. All right, Moses had, had, had grown up in the first 40 years of his life in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. Um, and then he, he murdered an Egyptian guard, so he fled for his life out to the wilderness. There he met his wife. Uh, there he began to work the next 40 years of his life with his father-in-law, tending his sheep, having a family of his own. And, and it's in those moments where he's out tending his father-in-law's sheep that he sees a bush that's on fire and not being consumed. Well, God knows what he's doing, okay? If you want to get a guy's attention, just start a fire, okay? Because there's three things that guys can look at endlessly in their life. Fire, running water, and another man working. I mean, men can look at those three things forever, right? Okay? And, and so, so you look in the Bible, and how does God speak to men? He speaks to them with fire because we're just like, oh. Right? He does speak to women with fire because they're more practical. They'll go put it out. But anyway, so, yeah, so, so here's Moses. He comes up on this bush that's burning and not being consumed, and, and then it begins to, the, the voice of the Lord calls out and calls out to Moses. And basically what God says is, if you're familiar with this encounter, God says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. They had been enslaved for 400 years. He said, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt, and I want you to go be my ambassador. I want you to go be my ambassador to Pharaoh, and, and I want you to come back. Now, you may ask the question like, why Moses, right? So if I remember the story right, Moses has been hiding for over 30 years. So he's, he's not necessarily a coward, but he's specifically trying to stay off the radar. He's a wanted man in Egypt, right? If you walked into the post office in Egypt, his face would have been up there on the wanted poster as, as killing an Egyptian guard. So Moses is not necessarily the most likely candidate because he's trying to stay on the down low. He's trying to stay off the radar, and he really doesn't want to go back to the place where he's a wanted man. He's, he's a fugitive. But if you think about Moses and where his life was, he's actually the best candidate that God could send. If you think about it, he grew up the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house. That means he knows the royal family personally. Those that are on the throne that God wants him to go and speak to and be his ambassador to, he knows them. He grew up with them. That's his family, right? Also, too, he knows the Egyptian language. He knows the Egyptian culture. He knows everything about where God is sending him. And ethnically, he is an Israelite. He had dual citizenship. So he also knows the people that God is sending him in to be a representative for. So when you look at all those things, there really wasn't another person in this time in history that had all the credentials that we see with Moses to be God's ambassador. So God says, Moses, I, I want to send you. And, and if you'll recall, Moses kind of him hauls around. He, he buries the lead, right? He, he starts out with, well, God, here's the deal. I'm not really qualified for that. Well, that's not true. Moses knew what his resume was. He knew that he was the most qualified. But he kind of buried the lead. He's like, God, like, here's the problem. I'm not really qualified for that. And God says, it's okay. I'll go with you. <sighs> okay, all right. So here's the deal. Um, what if I don't know how to answer their questions? God says, well, that's not a problem. I'll give you the answers of what to say. <sighs> okay, all right. You ever been in those situations, right? You can tell somebody's like him hawing around. You know, so he's like, I'll tell you what to say. He's like, okay. He's like, um... So you give me the word to say, but how about this, God? What if they don't believe me? And God says, I got that covered too. I'll reveal myself to them, and then they'll see me, and then they'll believe you. 
snap. Okay, well, see, here's the problem, God. You may not recognize this already, but I don't speak very well. I'm not a very good public speaker. My mouth doesn't work that great. Sometimes I get tongue-tied. I get a little crossed up on my words, so um, I'm probably not going to be your God. God's like, who made your mouth? That'd be me. And I can control your mouth. So finally, Moses, after running out of excuses, the fifth time around, he finally decides to, to open up to God and to be honest and to tell God what was really going on. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, he says, um, uh, hang on, sorry, I wrote down the wrong thing. Oh, here it is, yeah. God says, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say, right? And here's Moses' final response where he's finally open and honest with God. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else, right? He finally opens up and he's honest after running out of excuses. He said, God, so here's, here's the thing. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. Could you please send somebody else? Now, if I'm in Moses' shoes, I get it. I get it. He, he specifically was trying to stay away from Egypt, from the limelight, specifically trying to stay away from the area that he had fleed from. And he was really comfortable where he was. He had planted roots. His family was there. Um, he had a good job. He was taken care of. It was kind of like a security blanket for him. He, he really didn't want to leave all that and to go. And he said, God, here's the, here's the honest reaction is, I know you're calling me to do something. I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. So, so God's response was, okay, fine. I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He can help you. He speaks well. I'll talk to you. You talk to Aaron. Let Aaron talk to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, yeah, I'll go with that. And so in reluctance, Moses actually goes, meets up with Aaron and goes. And if you continue reading through Exodus and, and through the rest of, of uh, uh, Moses' leadership history, it's pretty cool how God began to mold and shape his heart to where he began to fall in love with the people of Israel. So much so that on several occasions, God... Uh, wrath and anger burned against the people of Israel for their rebellion and for their sin and he wanted to wipe them out and, and, and rightfully so and Moses intercedes for the people and begs for God to save their life it's amazing how God took this guy's heart who had had no desire to do what God was calling to do and had him fall in love with these people and to rescue them and, and I think about us today um, you know, I feel like we could, we could really relate. All of us could relate to this in some shape, form, or fashion. We can all probably think in our minds and identify at least one time in our life where maybe we're reading Scripture, uh, maybe we're listening to a sermon, maybe we're in a Bible study, and, and it's like the Holy Spirit was clear as day speaking to us about what we needed to do. And deep down in your spirit, you're like, ooh, man, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, right? I just... I know I need to forgive that person, but I'm going to need a little bit more time. Or I know you put this person in my life to share my faith with, but, but man, I just I chicken out every time the opportunity arises. Or, God, I, I know you've called me to, to go to the ends of the earth, but can I at least just go to the ends of the street and maybe start there and then, and then see what happens? I mean, we can all relate to these times. I, I remember one time uh, several years ago when I first came on staff, um, we used to have these 6 a.m., uh, Monday morning prayer times, right? I called it godly things at an ungodly hour. And we would come in here uh, into the worship center and, and, and how would lead us and, and we would pray. Uh, I think it was the first Monday of the month. But anyway, we would pray. And I remember we'd cluster up in groups. I remember one time um, I was sitting over here in this section and I was praying. 
And um, I, would, I would have to pray with my eyes open, I'll be honest, because I tend to fall asleep at, at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so um, I was praying with my eyes open. Out of the corner of my eye, there was a young man, we'll, we'll call him Matt. There was a young man in the college ministry that used to help me in the youth ministry. And I, I mentored Matt, and, and I discipled him. And, uh, and out of the corner of my eye, I catch him. He's, he's over here in the corner, kneeling down on the steps, praying by himself. And, and in my spirit, I sense the Holy Spirit telling me, like, Greg, go, go pray for him. I didn't want to do that. That's weird and awkward for me, you know? And, and I was, so I'm having this conversation in my spirit and in my mind with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, look, if Matt wanted somebody to pray for him, like, he would have come and sat in a group, right? I don't want to disrupt that. And so I kind of ignored it. And then a few minutes later, I catch him out of the corner of my eye, and he's still over there. And I'm like, well, God, what's the point, right? Like, what am I going to say? I don't even know what he's down there for. And he's like, just go pray for him, you know? And I'm like, oh, no. And so I kept ignoring it. I, actually, what I was hoping was that Matt would, like, get up and walk back to his seat and, like, relinquish me from my mission. But he never did, dadgummit. And so anyway, so finally... I'm sitting there, and finally, you know, it's, it's like I had this moment with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, fine. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, fine. You know, anyway, so, so I go over, and I pray for Matt. And it probably was like one of the most generic prayers because I didn't know, like, why he was down there, you know. And I'm just trying to think. I'm, I'm still half asleep, and I'm like, no, Lord, pray for Matt. And, and I'm praying for him. And, 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 like, and then I kind of open up one eye, and I look over, and there's nothing. He's still staying there, like, praying on the steps. And I'm like... Right, and then I just go back to my seat, and I'm like, I, don't, I really don't understand. I can make a fool out of myself. I don't need the Holy Spirit helping me. And so I was like, I don't understand this. Well, then later on that day, I saw Matt, and I said, bro, I said, I'm so sorry. I know you're probably trying to pray alone. I kind of sensed in my spirit the Lord wanted me to pray for you. I'm sorry if I interrupted. And he's like, Greg, I'm so glad that you did. He said, I've really been wrestling for the past several weeks on whether or not God actually was hearing me when I was crying out to him. And he said, I was so desperate, and I prayed to God. I said, God, if you hear me, could you please let me know that you care and that somebody hears me? And he said, at that moment is when you walked over and you prayed for me. And, man, I just was like, all right, well, there you go, Greg. Lesson learned, right? I mean, we all have those moments, right? In our lives, we're like, we know God is calling us to do something. It's so clear. It's so evident, whether it's something we've read in Scripture whether it's the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit, but for whatever reason, we just don't want to do it. We just don't. We wrestle with it. And Moses found himself in this place. He's like, God, I just, I just don't want to do what you've called me to do. Well, let's kind of put a pause in Moses' life right there, and we'll come back to it again here in just a little bit. And let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Keep flipping over to the right in your Bible, and let's look. At a, at a young man, Elijah, okay? It's going to be right uh, after 2 Samuel, right before 2 Kings. Um, and we are going to look at, uh, before Psalms and Proverbs as well, 1 Kings, we're going to look at Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, I'm going to ask you all to turn to these places you may not turn too often. I thought I'd do it myself. But here, let's look at Elijah. Elijah finds himself in this moment where he says, you know what, to be honest, I struggle to con continue doing what you've called me to do, right? So Moses' struggle was, I'm having a hard time doing what you've asked me to do. Elijah's struggle was, I'm having a hard time to continue doing what you've asked me to do. If you're kind of not familiar with what's going on with Elijah, uh, Elijah was a, a prophet in the northern kingdom back when there were two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel, and, and uh, Ahab was the king. 
Ahab was one of the most wicked kings uh, in Israel's history, and his wife was a gem. She was a jewel. She was the life of the party. Her name was Jezebel, being sarcastic there in case you didn't know. Uh, she is one of the most wicked queens in all of Israel's history. Uh, most of the time, if a female is being referred to as a Jezebel, uh, that's usually not a compliment, uh, if that'll tell you anything about her. So here you have Elijah, who's a prophet, uh, while the kingdom is divided. So being a prophet wasn't exactly the most popular thing in the world. Most people don't, don't uh, root for the guy who's telling you the straight and narrow, skinny, uh, direct words of God. So Elijah had a tough job already. He had a king that was a wicked dictator, one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. Uh, the queen was, uh, <laughs> she was, a, she was a gem herself. And not, not, not only that, not only did he have a terrible situation uh, where these, these uh, 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 Ahab and Jezebel uh, were tyrants against Christianity and against the Lord, um, you know, Elijah's congregation didn't really care to listen to him either, right? So here you got a guy that's been faithful to the Lord to do what God's called him to do, uh, but really to no avail, to no avail. He, he's had uh, the most mountaintop of all experiences um, in, in his, uh, if you want to call it his career, in his time as a prophet, taking on the, the prophets of Baal. And then they seek to kill him. Jezebel seeks to kill him. And so look in, in chapter 19, verse 3. Uh, Elijah flees. Uh, he flees from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. And here we find him in a state of honesty and vulnerability, uh, starting in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba, in Judah. He left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. And keep going down. Um, he, he meets with the Lord in verse 9. Um, it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Uh, here's where Elijah was just honest with the Lord. He says, God, look, here's the deal, man. He lists all these things. He's like, they're rejecting me. They're tearing down your altars that you've had me built. They've killed the other prophets. Uh, they're trying to kill me too, you know. And, and basically, Elijah walks in, and, and he's just, he's taxed. He's exhausted. He's been faithfully serving the Lord in his life. But now he comes to the end, and he, he's, I guess he's getting the end of his rope, and he kind of walks in and sits down with one hand on the eject button. And, and, and the the kind of the position of his heart is kind of like, God, look, here's the deal. I appreciate you. Thanks for letting me do this. But I, I think I'm done. I think I'll just take the L and just go home and call it what it is. He, he was tired of faithfully serving the Lord with what seemed to be no fruit, no avail, really no, no nothing that, that came from his work. And, and so he was very open and honest with the Lord. And so look at what the Lord does in verse 11. The, the Lord, in this moment of honesty and vulnerability, the Lord decides to show himself to Elijah and to encourage him with his presence. Look, in, look at verse 11. The Lord said, Well, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave. The Lord reveals himself to Elijah as Elijah is being open and honest and vulnerable with him about his struggle in, in a way that encourages Elijah and brings peace. If you'll give me some creative liberty here, I kind of picture this in two different ways. It, the first time when God says, Elijah, what's going on? And I feel that, that I read it with Elijah having this sense of like frustration and aggravation, right? You ever, you ever been there? It's like he hit his boiling point. He's like, God, man, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Those people don't listen to me. They tore down your altars. They killed the other prophets. Now they're trying to kill me too, just, just aggravated at the end of his rope. And then the Lord appears to him and calms his spirit. And now I see this, you know, you've had those moments, right? You just hit your breaking point, and, you, and the Lord reveals himself to you. The Bible says he possesses a peace that passes all understanding, and he administers that peace to us. And then, and then look in verse 13. So the voice said to Elijah again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And now I picture a different emotion, a different countenance of Elijah who has now encountered the Lord and experienced that peace. He says the same thing he said the first time, but I kind of imagine that he's saying it a little bit different now, right? He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. God, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Here, God reveals himself to him and he, and he brings himself some peace. But he also gives him some hope. Look at what he says in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nifshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Japhat, from Abel, Meelah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In case you missed it, here's what's happening. Elijah's open and honest with God with his struggle to continue being faithful to what God has called him to do. God appears to him and brings him some peace and says this. He says, Elijah, there's a remnant that you haven't seen yet. I'm doing a work. Just hang with me. I'm raising up a king that will fear me, that will honor me by leading the people. I'm also raising up your... Uh, successor to come after you who, who will take the mantle of being a prophet so it won't be gone whenever you leave. Oh, and by the way, in case you haven't met them, there are 7,000 people in Israel who have stayed faithful to me who will support you and encourage you and have your back. So oftentimes, you and I may find ourselves in a place where we grow tired, we grow weary, it's hard to stay faithful doing what God's called us to do because we haven't seen that remnant. 
We haven't seen that work that he's doing behind the scene because our vision is so limited to what's right in front of us, but God sees it all. It's kind of like a friend of mine. I believe that we can relate to this too. We'll call him John. John shared this story with me several years ago. He had a grandfather who wasn't a believer. And John and his family were, were very much strong believers. And they had shared with his grandfather faithfully for years. Different people within the family had shared with him. When, when Junior Hill would come or different people would come to the area that were evangelists, they would go share with John's grandfather. But it was to no avail. John's grandfather became deathly ill and was in the hospital, and John went to visit him one last time. And he was telling me about this. He said, Greg, he said, I sensed in my spirit the Lord was like, John, this may be the last time you get a chance to talk to your granddad. Just share the gospel with him one more time. And John said, you know, in a moment of honesty and vulnerability, he's sitting there talking to the Lord, and he's like, God, like, what's the point? Like, he's not going to hear anything from me again that he hasn't heard from us already. He said, Greg, he said, I was in there with him, and I decided to do it one more time. And his grandfather put his faith and trust in Christ before he died just a short time later. Right? You never know what God's doing. And you know what? We may not see the fruit of those labor. It could be that God is doing a work in us and through us and with us that somebody else will come through and harvest because it's a team game it's not an individual sport other brothers and sisters in Christ can come in and reap the harvest of the work it, it reminds me of two things that that Paul wrote in the New Testament to encourage the believers first in Rome in Romans chapter 12 verse 11 where he says never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Even when we have the moment of maybe exhaustion and frustration and curious what the point is anymore, Paul says we can keep that zeal and fervor serving the Lord. And then to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 6, 9, he says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest when? If we don't give up. If we don't give up. Some of you in here tonight probably have people in your lives, whether it's a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker. It might be parents and grandparents who have been praying for children and grandchildren for years. It might be children and grandchildren that have been praying for parents and for grandparents for years. It might be one of your best friends for a decade. I would admonish all of you that when you find yourself at a place of Mount Horeb like Elijah and you say, God, I think I'm just going to take the L and, and just recognize that it is what it is. Might I admonish you like Paul did the Galatians, don't give up. Don't give up. God might be doing a remnant in their life that you haven't seen yet. Well, let's pause on the rest of Elijah's life and let's move on to the third person in John chapter 21. Let's look at Simon Peter. John's Gospel chapter 21, Simon Peter. Now, where does this pick up in the storyline of Simon Peter's life? He's now left his occupation of being a professional fisherman. Uh, he is, he's now followed Jesus for three years. Jesus was, was crucified, buried, rose again, and has now appeared to his disciples along the, the, the side, the, the, the shoreline there, along the lake. And Simon Peter's thing is, to be honest, I really do love you, even when I mess up. This is after Simon Peter had maybe his greatest fall and his greatest blunder. He had a few... Uh, there's like 
pre-resurrection Jesus, uh, Simon Peter and post-resurrection Simon Peter. I'd like to think I'm more post-resurrection Simon Peter, uh, but since this is a sermon about honesty, I'm probably more pre-resurrection Simon Peter more times than not. But, but anyway, so he has this moment where he follows Jesus after he was arrested, and three times he, he, he was uh, pointed out as being one of Jesus' followers, and he denied it. He denied being a follower of Christ uh, as, as encountered in the Gospels that you may already know. The rooster crows. Simon Peter realizes that Jesus had predicted this, and he went out in repentance uh, and was broken about the fact that he had messed up. He was broken about the fact that he had denied Jesus, and, and this is really the first time that Simon Peter gets to see Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know if you've ever been there. I know I have on a few times where you mess up, right? You've done something wrong, and you know you want to talk to that person one-on-one, -on -one, but it's kind of awkward. You know, you know you want to do that, and you know you'll be at peace, and you know be able to move forward if you do it, but you don't know how to bring it up. You don't know when that opportunity is going to arise. I bet Simon Peter was like that. He had seen Jesus a couple of times prior to this, but he had kind of been in a group setting. Now, if I'm one of Simon Peter's friends, I know what's happening here, and I'm looking at him like, mm-hmm, you feel a little awkward right now, aren't you? Yeah, maybe just a little bit. You know, but anyway, uh, but, but so here's Simon Peter on the shoreline with Jesus, and, and Jesus kind of pulls him aside. He's like, hey, Simon Peter, why don't you come walk with me? Okay. And, and he says, hey, Simon Peter. Now, this is knowing that Simon Peter has betrayed him three times. Simon Peter knows that he's betrayed him three times. He says, uh, hey, Simon Peter, do you, do you love me? You know, and it's almost like Simon Peter now, it's like Jesus just opens that door. And now Simon Peter can be honest with him. He's like, man, I know you know that I betrayed you. But Jesus, you know that I love you still. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, feed my sheep. All right, man. So they're walking along. Simon, he, Jesus asked Simon Peter again. He says, Simon Peter says, do you love me? Simon Peter's like, yes, Jesus. I love you. Very much I love you. Jesus is like, yeah. Tend my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon Peter, do you love me? He's like, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I do. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And here's what I love in John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 19. I see this as kind of a recommissioning of sorts. After Simon Peter opens up and he shares with Jesus how he really feels, even though he messed up, he shares that he really loves him. At the end of verse 19, then he, Jesus, said to him, Simon Peter, follow me. Now, why do I love that? Because the very first invitation that Jesus gave Simon Peter when Simon Peter was working for his dad's business as a fisherman was, hey, Simon Peter, why don't you come follow me? And Simon Peter's like, deal, along with his brother and his friends. Now, in this moment of honesty and vulnerability and this recommission, what does Jesus say? The same thing he said the first time. He says, I believe you. I believe that you love me. Come follow me again. And then if you can continue reading through the book of Acts, it ignited Simon Peter to do some pretty amazing things. So, I believe that we can all relate to Simon Peter in this situation. I believe that we all, in, in our moments of weaknesses, that we continue to have until the day that we die and we see Jesus face to face in heaven, we all have these things that we stumble with, even though deep down in our heart we still love him. We still love him with all our heart. We still have these moments of weaknesses. 
we still have these moments to be open and honest and vulnerable and say, Jesus, even though I messed up, I do still love you. I promise. Would you please forgive me and restore me? So, in closing, let's look back just at these three men. You ever see those little documentaries or those shows, like, where are they now? You know, you want to go back years later. Where that? Well, these three guys are in heaven now. They're probably not a documentary about them just yet. But, but think about, like, what happened. Moses, right? He, he's open and honest. He's vulnerable with the Lord at the burning bush. And, 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 and God hears that. And he still continues to commission Moses to send him. And he changes Moses' heart. Moses falls in love with the people of Israel. He became one of the greatest leaders in all of Israel's history. He interceded for them, right? He's so well known in all throughout Jewish history, but our history as well. And he even penned the first five books of our Bible by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So God used Moses in a powerful way, in a mighty way, to impact not just the people of Israel's lives, but even our lives today. Anytime you read the first five books of the Bible. Moses was open and honest with the Lord, and God encouraged him and restored him and used him. Elijah, right? Elijah goes down off of Mount Horeb, and he does this. He, he anoints these people. He takes Elisha in to be his disciple, to be his protege. And then can we just do a little side note? Is there a better way to go to heaven? I mean, Elijah's walking. If I'm walking through the woods and a Shelby Cobra GT comes down, and it's on fire. I don't mean like flames painted. I mean the thing is on fire, okay? And an angel opens the side door. It's like, hey, Greg, you want to get in? Yes, I do. Where's it going? I don't care. I'm riding in that wherever it's going. There is no better way to go to heaven. Once again, it's a dude in flames. I'm just saying, right? Takes up to heaven, and Elijah became one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Also, too, if you'll think ahead, to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. Who is it that's there with Jesus in his glorified state? Moses and Elijah, right? These two men, open and honest and vulnerable with the Lord. And then Simon Peter, like we just reiterated. You read through the book of Acts and Simon Peter became the leading apostle to the Jews. He was there at all three stages of the different ethnic groups between the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles, receiving the Holy Spirit when he prayed over them to transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant and the incarnational ministry of the Holy Spirit totally changed his life. But didn't he mess up pretty bad? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But all three of these men in all three of these instances were honest and vulnerable and open and honest with the Lord. And remember what I said? What did the Lord do? Did the Lord go, man, you really are worthless. I need to use somebody else. No. No. He revealed himself to them, and he restored them, and he renewed them, and he gave us a clear picture of 1 John, where it says that when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and renew us from that unrighteousness. So the question I have in closing is, we all have things we struggle with from time to time. And Satan would love nothing more than for us to keep that to ourselves, wrestle with it on your own. He wants to keep us from being open and honest and vulnerable with the Lord. Why? Because he knows that powerful things will happen in our lives when we experience the rejuvenated power of the forgiveness and restoration that comes from the Holy Spirit. So the question tonight is, if you haven't begun 
to develop the practice of just being open and honest with God when you struggle, when you wrestle, but also in your praises too. Make sure you tell God how much you appreciate all that he's done for you and how much he's given you in your life. Be open and honest with that too and see what the Lord does. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.